What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast, where we bring you all the goods around the business of cybersecurity. I got my uh, free co-host with me today, Randy Bryan, Reginald Andre, Ryan O'Hara. What's up, guys? How are you? What's going on? Doing well? Not much. I was going to say, getting ready for Thanksgiving next week. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And focusing on bringing, bringing our audience something new. Something new. The song says. Yep. So if we bring them something new, Randy, what what do we charge for for that? Oh, great. Yeah. So um, (laughs) our fee for the show, um, like uh, Andre coined, is free 99. Um, That's free as in free beer, not as in free something that's not worth something. And we just ask that you like, subscribe, um, share, and comment. Um, on our show, and that is the best way um, that you can uh, help us pay for the show. Um, so yeah, and also Thanksgiving is next week. So what do we say about that, uh, Ryan or uh, Andre? Don't be a turkey. Protect your business from ransomware. <laughs> yes. So how, how's the weather down there in Florida and up there in Detroit, y'all? Oh, here he goes. Anyone <laughs> It's cold. I, I just got back from uh, from Orlando, so went through the hurricane, and then was golfing by Friday, uh, and then flew back here to like 30s. So fun stuff. Yeah, we were in the 30s last night here in uh, Texas. No it's way. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my god. You guys are going to get it week, again. Man. People are dying wow. down here, just like people die up there when the when it's over 80. So I was I was recently with some. people people were talking about your freeze last year and how horrible it was. They were like, it's, it's oh, worse yeah. than a hurricane. I just looked at them. I was just like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's not worse than a hurricane. We call it snowpocalypse. Literally every single county in Texas had a freeze warning. And there were, there were, that's never happened before. And there were counties that haven't had freeze warnings in, you know, like 50 years and stuff like that. So even down in the valley, it was frozen. It was crazy. I mean, when, when anybody loses electricity in today's day and age, it's going to impact, you know, lives, business, personal, just inevitable. You need electricity these days for pretty much everything. So, all right, guys. Thank you, Randy, for uh, letting everybody know what the fee is. And uh, don't forget to share our show with your friends and family. We are live today. So we might be able to bring in some questions. If you have any questions, you can drop them in the comments of wherever you're watching us from, and we will try to answer them as quickly as we can. And uh, today's show, we got no shortage of ransomware events to talk about. Um, a big one, actually. We don't really talk about international ransomware events because we usually have so many here in the United States. But we're going to cover this one out in Australia simply because of the breadth and depth of the attack and kind of bring everybody up to speed on what happened over there um, and, you know, highlight that things like this can happen here in the United States. And quite in fact, they are happening. Um, A lot of times they don't make it into the news to where we know about it, um, even with hospitals. and then we have a couple uh, counties, um, municipal uh, governments um, that are under a ransomware attack, along with a Canadian uh, food retailer. 
Um, and then we're going to talk about some other things, how, you know, these cyber criminals are doing things to trick you into doing various things uh, like giving your password up to them and how simple it is and the different techniques that they're using today to trick you into giving you their your email username password or banking information or social media logins or what have you so that's kind of what's on tap for today so let's without further ado guys let's jump into what's going on over in australia so from what i understand um we have this uh basically metabank um which is a medical entity in Australia and they've been hacked and it's not about the number of records, which is in the millions that have been exposed. It's what's within that data set that's been exposed. And I don't care who picks up or who wants to chime in here, but let's kind of educate people on a, what happened and B what, what am I talking about? What data is actually out there uh, that, you know, Australians and potentially people who have traveled to Australia. All uh, those Russians. It's not just wow, a song sorry lyric. It that. is the kind yeah, of exasperate. I wow. thought we had a guest on. I was like, whoa, where's that? Yeah. All the Russians. So be careful opening up that link. That's all I got to say. <laughs> he answered my question. I mean, so, the thing that jumps out at me with this is, is, is oftentimes when we see this kind of stuff, you know, it's like, oh, well, they got access to this, but they didn't get access to this. Like the amount of stuff that they're talking about here was like they had access to everything. I mean, so so some of the stuff that this is talking about is people being, uh, you know, fearful uh, individuals who are impacted by this, being fearful of, of blackmail for, you know, things like their uh, HIV status, whether or not, you know, they had an abortion, you know, all sorts of different things uh, that can be used. So, like, you know, whoever got in had free reign of everything, it looks like, just based on this information. Yeah, typically when we're talking about these type of articles, it's name, social security numbers, you know, the regular, but like as uh, Ryan is saying, you're talking about drug and alcohol use if they had an abortion. All those Russians. All right, Randy. Strong lyric. It is the kind That's of. That's not me. Which one of you guys opened up that link? <laughs> <laughs> I already right. muted mine. But- Anyway, go ahead, Andre. I was going to add to that once you're finished. Yeah, so um, non-viable pregnancy, um, miscarriages, complications, infections. I mean, the list goes on of, you know, essentially an Excel spreadsheet that's listing all of this information in the dark web. So this is a really, really uh, bad thing that's happening now. Yeah, I mean, this is literally like as bad as it gets for consumers. Um, All that information, like you said, um, a person in there mentioned that they had been um, involved in a domestic violence um, incident, and now they were worried because their their personal address is now leaked onto the Internet, and they're trying to hide from their abuser, and now all that information is public. From, from that standpoint, this is awful, and then from just, just the bad actors, the ability now to put together a bunch of stuff you know, and send out like using that spreadsheet, using out an email, like saying, hey, we've got a record of your blah, 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 fill it in. It's all automated. Uh, Please click here to update and or delete, you know, something like that. Just just 
when you have that information that's personal, people are more likely to click on it mm-hmm. um, because it's it's less threatening when you know something about them. Yep. So the attack was, uh, and that's why you kept hearing all those Russians in a in an unfamiliar voice from the show. <clears throat> this this article that we're looking at <clears throat> over at news.com.au um, is simply that. The, there's been links to people involved with this to our evil, the Russian hacking group. Um, and that's why Australia is kind of blaming Russia here because all indicators point that these people are operating uh, out of Russia. And the bigger problem, we talked about this a ton on the show this year. Um, the interesting kind of thing, and no, to no surprise of mine, because we've talked about this a million times, but once lawyers get involved, lawyers figure out how to make money on everything when it comes to anything that involves business and legalities and stuff like that. And, you know, you have lawyers now that are ramping up to sue MetaBank with class action lawsuits. And that's kind of like the thing that we've been hearing most often when larger entities and even medium sized businesses are getting hit with cyber attacks is lawyers are starting to circle the wagons and get people involved uh, involved in in class action law. If anybody knows anything, I don't know it's like this in Australia, but in the United States, most class action lawsuits benefit the lawyers, right? Very, very rarely do the victims of particular crimes or issues involving class action lawsuits do they benefit the actual victims? I mean, I was recently involved in a credit card fraud with a local uh, hoagie shop in our area. Um, very large one at that. Um, and that's why it ended up being a class action lawsuit. And I was uh, initially reached out to the attorneys involved and then didn't hear anything for a long time. And then the, like a month ago, I got a... Um, email from them saying like, oh, you, you qualify to be part of the class action lawsuit. All you got to do is fill this out. Go to the website and you're, you're filling it out. And it's basically every page is me signing my rights away for any kind of future um, action against this particular uh, hoagie chain. And what happened was, is I got to the end and it was like, you basically are entitled to up to $7.50. So if I was going to sign this, I basically was going to get a check for $7.50, where if you read through all of the information they sent you, this was a multi-million dollar settlement. And I would imagine that by the time all the lawyers got paid, there was probably a couple hundred thousand dollars left. Um, So, you know, as, as a victim, you shouldn't feel good that there's class action lawsuits happening. But as a as a uh, business, you should be scared shitless of these class action lawsuits because these lawyers, they take on these cases without getting paid up front because they know they're going to get a big payday in the end. And that's how it works in the U.S. I assume it's probably similar in, in Australia. So anything else you guys want to add to to this? Um about either the, the class action lawsuit or Russians are evil being involved with this? 
I put something in the internal chat if you want to um, take a look at that. But basically, it talks about from when they discovered this breach, which was on October the 12th. And here mm -hmm. we are, November the 15th. Um, of course, we're now talking about it in the ramifications. But um, basically, from October the 12th all the way to November the 4th, it was just showing a timeline of how the hackers and MetaBank and their, their people are talking. So that was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and these hackers are releasing this information on a daily basis on a couple different dark web sites. Um, you know, the more information they release, the idea here is is the more pressure uh, MetaBank's going to feel to cave to whatever it is that they're dealing with. Now, they just said that they were hit with a cyber incident. My guess would be that they probably had data exfiltrated um, and then probably dealt with ransomware at some point. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a wild guess here. It's just not data exfiltration in this case. Um, so going back to your point there, Andre, are you kind of pointing out the fact that it's they've been in this mess for a month? And yeah, really and um, so like, on, for example, October 27, Medibank says they can see the attack was through, the v, was through a VPN. Oh. It's how they got in, apparently. Probably yeah, because they had God level access. I don't know if it was an access control issue or uh, you know a, a vulnerability that basically gave you a skeleton key to everything. But that I think is one of the key things, just how much access they had when they got yeah. in. And yeah, and then on November November the fifth, MetaBank refuses to pay the ransom. So this is why now we're seeing the the, the mm -hmm. leaks and things like that to get more attention to it. So then we got uh, the um, other ransomware event that we wanted to kind of highlight, which was this Jackson and Hillsdale County, um, I believe they're in Michigan, uh, the state of Michigan. So there's probably a lot of Jackson and Hills something counties. So this one happens to be in, in Michigan. Uh, municipal government, right, guys? It's not a school. Is that correct? Am I on that right? Uh, it was the school. It was yeah. It was the school. Oh, school. it's the school district. Okay, yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't the county. It was the Jackson County Intermediate School District, Correct. and a ransomware event caused uh, an outage affecting critical operating systems. Uh, and then I guess all we have is uh, a letter. Is that all we? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of information in this one. So they sent out a letter yesterday. Um, providing an update, uh, the, experience, the outage occurred, I just give the actual date, uh, they notified law enforcement. Um, so it looks like this is like fresh and, and uh, just in development right now. I mean, the thing that I found interesting about this one in, in the letter um, that they sent was, um, unfortunately, more and more school districts have become victims of ransomware attacks over the past few years, and we are no exception. I agree with that statement. My, my question would be how, uh, you know, it, did they take that information though ahead of time and take steps to protect themselves? I mean, we all know that everybody can get hit. I don't care what kind of protections you have in place, but if, if they knew this stuff going into it and didn't make any changes and weren't doing some of the things, um, you know, that's where, you know, that, that whole letter becomes a little bit disingenuous to me. So I, 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 just, I was recently uh, in front of about 50 superintendents for school districts mm -hmm. Um, and they are fully aware of the problem. 
part of my talk was trying to stress that, A, yes, I know that you are severely underfunded with this kind of stuff and there's really nowhere right. to go to kind of get this funding. Um, and, you know, kind of a sidebar note, like there are bills in Washington that would provide funding. My understanding is a lot of these congressmen don't have the understanding of what's inside of these bills. So they're hesitant to move forward with any of them. So that's kind of why things are stuck right now. Um, it's not for lack of, of money. Um, it's just lack of inaction because people just don't know um, what they're reading because it, it can get very technical at times. Bigger problem uh, is that I literally made it a point in my talk to say like, hey, and it was rightfully pointed out by somebody because I kept saying, you know, you're, you, you are hiring people and you're, and you're passing the buck to them. You're saying like, mm -hmm. hey, I have an IT guy. I have an IT director, uh, IT person. And you're blindly putting it on them to solve your cybersecurity challenges. And you're taking no ownership of it as a superintendent is, was my point. Um, and then after that talk, one of the superintendents came up to me and was literally like, hey, I want you to meet our IT director. He's a doctor in cybersecurity. Like all like and I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, like you're that person. You're the person who thinks I have a I have an IT director as a doctor in cybersecurity. And that's all I need. I don't need to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, my point was, is you should have an independent person come in and do a risk assessment, regardless of how great you think your IT person is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it remains to be seen if that's going to happen or not with any of these school districts I was in front of. Um, hopefully they do take some action, whether it's with us or with somebody else. But, you know, it was amazing to me, like literally less than five minutes after my talk, this person was like, basically admitted to me like they they don't care about cybersecurity like you need you should meet with my IT person because they have a doctorate in cybersecurity and we have a very extensive cybersecurity program and I'm like says who <laughs> you know what I mean like extensive to you extensive to me might be two totally different things so I think that's the kind of the world we live in right now we know that K through 12 schools are are well behind the eight ball on this kind of stuff and I don't think it's agnostic to this particular sector. I think most businesses, CEOs have the attitude of, I, I hired somebody to worry about that for me and I'm not going to worry about it. And that's absolutely incorrect. When you get hit with ransomware, the press, the police, the FBI, they're not talking to your IT director. They're talking to the CEO and the CFO to see, what have you been doing as, as Ryan pointed out, how, you know, are you putting together a good enough program or not? Mm -hmm. That's going to determine whether you, A, have your cyber insurance claim, B, could potentially be dealing with uh, class action lawsuits or C, lose your job. I think there's a good solution to that. And that would be to, to hire someone to do a third party cybersecurity review on your school or your business. And then um, you find out, is is your IT department doing what they need to do? Um, and then if they're not, 
Um, you can work with companies like all of us on the show work with companies like ours. We can work with your IT company and we can or, or your IT provider. I know the school district in our town has a whole team and, you know, they do like things like fixed printers and, you know, network connectivity and stuff. They can bring in a company like ours to handle the cybersecurity part of it to make sure because the bottom line, we know this about it's true of all data, but schools especially are really, really valuable. It's really, really valuable data because they can take a social security number of, of a kid and basically start using that for scamming out in the world. Um, and it'll be a while before anybody notices because eight year olds aren't going out and trying to get mortgages and stuff like that. No one might even no one. There may, may not even be anybody that ever knows for years. Um, and then plus the collaboration of that data, you know, like, like we talked about in the last episode, like, you know, if you know a kid's name, you can send an email to a parent and say, Hey, can you believe this just happened? Or, you know, Hey, there's an issue with your kid click here so we can fix it or whatever and get people to click on ransomware. I mean, so these schools are all, they're all bad, but schools especially are, uh, are rough. So so, Rye, I just want to kind of ask you a question because this is, this is pretty widespread and I, I'm i familiar with kind of how things work around here in, in the New Jersey and Pennsylvania area. And to my, I'm pretty confident when I say this, that they're, they're just the amount of schools that are affected by this because it happened at a certain level, I guess the mm -hmm. county level, we're, we're just not structured like that around here. So I'm trying to get maybe your insight on what could be happening here. Cause like, you're not like our school districts are very segregated and there's multiple school districts, obviously within the County, like you see here, mm -hmm. but like I live in Burlington County and if or, and that's where our, we're, we're at in New Jersey. If Burlington County was hit, it wouldn't affect all these schools like this. So any insight on like, why so many schools were affected in kind of in one foul swoop by hitting these these two counties? I mean, I, I believe that this district, and I don't know the size of it, but I mean, that area has a lot of uh, like lower income type areas uh, right. associated with it. So it I, if I were to guess, it would be a funding issue where they, they had to build out the school district to be larger in order to capitalize on their funding. Is it more rural? No, I mean, uh, Jack Jackson's probably a medium sized city within within Michigan. Uh, okay. But then you're talking about Jackson County. And so you're 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 expanding okay. out. But got it. OK, it's just, just amazing to me, like how many schools were taken offline because and you're, we're not talking like the list I'm looking at is not one school. Every school in that district is whacked from mm -hmm. this county problem. Which is like, wow, like who looked at that and said, this is a good idea. I mean, I, I will <laughs> say based on the letter and the letter is obviously made to look better for them. Um, you know, it looks like they, they responded quickly um, compared to some <laughs> of the other responses that we've seen. But that, that's they, kind of my question. They responded by closing the schools. <laughs> well, no, no just, the, just the Internet and, and you can't use any devices. Yeah. But they brought they they brought in outside experts instead of you know piddling around trying to figure it out themselves. So, I mean, there's that. But I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of information to make a just a, a, a you know. Well, a, I know in my kids' school they don't have chalkboards anymore, mm -hmm. and if they can't put that smart board on the internet, there's not a whole lot of learning going on. Right. 
And books, yep. One so, um, thing with what Randy was saying regarding having that outside company, but even one of our clients, and they're about 40, at the time, they were about 40 users, and they we thought of that, and we we tried to get them to do that, and the cost was almost about $20,000. And from there, they just like, nope, we'll just take the chance. We trust you, Arc Solvers, and we'll just, you know, uh, just do what you can do, but they didn't even want to pay that. And then once they get the information, then there's there could be possibly more work, more project work, and now they can't say they don't know. So unfortunately, um, I think a lot of these companies just rather just hope and uh, see if that's a solution, but it's not, you know? I think I got too many tabs open on my computer starting <laughs> to yell at me. Uh, so... I want to get jump into uh, our other ransomware topic or, or victim is this another international outside of the U.S., but just north of us in Canada. And it's a pretty big retail uh, food retail giant called Sobeys. And they are experiencing an IT systems issue since last weekend. Um, says Sobeys is one of two national grocery retailers in Canada with 134,000 employees servicing a network of one, uh, 1,500 stores in all 10 provinces under multiple retail banners, including Sobeys, Safeway, IGA, Foodland, Fresh Company, Thrifty Foods, and Lawton Drugs. So um, they are not shutting the grocery stores, but it's saying, you know, some services are impacted by this company wide IT issues. What do you guys know about this? I, I think Black Bass is behind it. What else do we know? I, I, I like some of the uh, pictures that they posted in the story. So like yeah. you're, you're basically walking down the grocery aisle uh, to, to check out and they've got the, the little screen for the register showing the ransomware message, which is pretty, pretty interesting disturbing and yeah. interesting at the same time i mean bottom line this is just classic ransomware where the computers are um they're ransomed that means the computer's encrypted and they're asking for a certain amount of money to get the money back uh to uh to decrypt them basically to release their data to them um and there's probably a threat in there somewhere about um it being released if you don't pay i don't see that on the on the screen there um, I don't see a confirmation in this case, but they do talk about uh, this particular ransomware yeah. being to do that. It does say um, your data will be published on Tor website if you do not pay the ransom. So it's both both um, encrypted and exfiltrated and um, extorted at this point. The old e and always, always e good to get let your customers read that message for you you know it saves yeah. saves y'all the, the the pr that you need to send out yeah I someone would, turn off the monitor right <laughs> a piece of paper over the monitor or something man i mean they got the piece of paper above it saying please do not use but yeah or nothing to see here you know right. <laughs> yeah also so i'm sure black bast is asking for probably a couple million you know, definitely in the millions from this company because they're so large and, you know, they know that they have a ton of leverage right now to get, get these systems back up and running. Um, we see this all the time where companies try to limp along and think, oh, we can, we can handle this. We can deal with this. And we're just learning more and more um, after these events that it's like 
like I was looking at statistics the other day. It's like nearly impossible for a company to stay in business after a ransomware attack. And like, I, I don't think that people understand that and don't get the gravity of what I just said. Mm -hmm. So many companies go out of business after a ransomware attack. Like, oh, like it's got to be in the 80 or 90 years. Right. It's like 80% after six months or out of business. So, I mean, I wish I could tell everyone this before they get hit with ransomware, but unfortunately people ignore it. People choose or decide that they have other priorities in their business and can't spend money on cybersecurity. Um, and then they get a, end up hitting with hit with ransomware and they try to limp along for months and months, you know, to die a slow death. And well, we I see it all the time. You said something interesting to me that, that they think that they can get past this on their own and, and, and fix this on their own. Um, I, I think the same can also be said that we're seeing, you know, when they uh, involve an IT company, that an IT company who's not specializing in responding to these types of things are thinking that they can go in and just, you know, clean it up and not be a big deal. And and either one, they're not not successful in doing so. Two, they get them back up and running, but, but they fail to grab any of the forensics and stuff that the insurance companies are now asking for. Um, so it's just, you know, you, you got to make sure you talk to the experts in, in these types of things. One, to make sure you're protected in the first place and two, to, to respond to it if you get hit. And that's the biggest thing, like, you got to go back to with people and understand, like, the biggest thing, the number one thing you can do right now, and I just know, like, we talk to a lot of companies, we, 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 you know, and we talk to businesses and I don't know what people think they're doing for risk assessments, but more than likely, whatever you think you've done around a risk assessment is probably not good enough. And that either that or you're just lying and you say you've had a risk assessment done and you haven't. But it all starts with having somebody come in and do a risk assessment to see where you are at with your cybersecurity practices. And then you build from there. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I think a lot of these companies that are dealing with these attacks, the three that we mentioned today, probably lacked or, or they just didn't get a good enough, you know, assessment of their risk. Um, so you guys agree with that? Do you guys, you know, have anything to add or above and beyond just start with a risk assessment? Like if somebody's listening to this and they're going, well, how do I, you know, I don't want to become one of these companies. Right. They just highlighted, where does it start? To me, I mean, you, it doesn't start anywhere else, but hiring somebody to come in and tell you where you're at. Because that's the basis for, for the decisions you're going to make moving forward. You, you right. need to know that information before you can decide who, uh, you need to engage in what you need to do. I mean, uh, and then going back to just making sure you're finding the right expert for the, the solution. I mean, you know, just to use a, you know, a health analogy, like if you had cancer, are you going to go to your pharmacist uh, to take care of it? Or are you going to go to an oncologist that specializes in that type of thing? Yeah, you know, they both have they, they, they both have medical knowledge, but one specialized to fix the exact problem that you have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or, or some cases it might be a difference between are you going to go to an oncologist or veterinarian you know <laughs> veterinarians trained in medicine as well mm -hmm. they could probably do a lot of stuff a regular doctor does but i'm not yep. going to go to a veterinarian for oncology you know didn't mean to stop the show with that comment man but you, you 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 were just so powerful with that that you froze brian up oh wait he blinked <laughs> he's, he's in and out i'm having technical issues <laughs> 
while he's getting un uh, unfrozen, um, you know, earlier when we were talking about Australia, I saw that they're actually considering um, to outlaw ransomware payments. Mm -hmm. So um, that that would change this whole game. I wonder. I wonder how, but I know it would change the whole game. I've heard that like like France won't pay ransomware to actual kidnap victims, mm -hmm. um, and or not ransomware, but won't pay the ransom for kidnappings. Yeah, and I've heard that like they almost never get kidnapped when they travel internationally because all the bad guys know that you know they don't get money from them. It's, you know? it's the same philosophy as not negotiating with terrorists, right? If if, mm -hmm. if we're giving them what they want, it just keeps feeding, uh, you know, the engine, and, and and they keep going. So yeah, if if we were able to find a way to to stop those payments, you know, then then what do they do? That all that funding goes out the door overnight but yeah any way of doing it is is a whole nother ball game it's, it's interesting i mean yeah i mean it it's a it's one of those situations where businesses are going to decide for themselves and if you want to make a ransomware payment you're going to make it you can just there's other ways you can get it you, done. you, you, know? you just get even more stealthy about it yeah Hey, like, hey, you hired me to do software project for you, software development project for you, and you're paying yeah. that, right? You know. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and that and that goes to like everybody blaming Bitcoin and you know as that being a catalyst for why ransomware is where it's at today. Ain't no, no nothing stopping you from writing a check to somebody else somewhere else without using Bitcoin. You can wire money. You can ACH money to people using different venues. If they have a payment way processor set up a way to pay them, you don't have to use Bitcoin. You can use American dollars. Plus, it doesn't um, stop everything. I think you know something like that. We're already seeing a huge increase in in business email compromise scams. So. That still, you know, is on on the game board, right? Because they're they're just taking that money from people, transmitting it uh, to a legitimate entity, and just changing the number so it goes to them. So, you know, something like that isn't going to stop those types of things from happening. If and if anybody out there gets ransomware and they send you ACH information, dude, just take money from them. Don't give money to them. <laughs> so. Uh... I'm going to move on, guys. Good Don't job. It's probably illegal. That was a on joke. Ransom, <laughs> on the ransomware stuff. Um, we uh, want to talk about kind of a scenario where we're looking at this article from Bleeping Computer with 42,000 sites used to trap users in brand impersonation scheme. And this is something interesting on a lot of different levels for me because the uh, – I'm impressed with the recent pivot of these guys and how quickly they're able to create these sites, these malicious sites, um, you know, for the purpose of basically just not being caught uh, is really why they're doing it and, and, and doing it the way that they're doing it. So bottom line is, is a malicious for-profit group named Fang Zhao has created a, a massive network of over 42,000 web domains that impersonate well-known brands to redirect users to sites promoting adware apps, dating sites, or free giveaways. So without reading too much into it, I'm assuming that they're just taking things like popular stores like Target, Walmart, you know, and they're just changing one or two letters, hoping yeah. somebody messes a, a keystroke up and ends up at this site um, that 
you know, basically, you know, send you somewhere where bad things can happen. And let's talk about kind of those bad things. One of them um, simply is they just run, they're just running, they're getting traffic, right, to their sites to just run ads and sell ads and, and, and push adware, right, which is a market. There is a market for people pushing adware to people and the more installations that they get, you know, say for every thousand computers that the adware gets on, they get a certain, you know, a certain dollar amount paid to them. Um, that's part of what's going on here. The other part is just getting you to go into this site, think that you won something, think that you, um, you know, are dealing with maybe a transaction that you may have bought something at Target and they're saying, hey, go to this website and fill out this survey about our product. But really it's, you know, it's just good timing, right? On the on the part of the cyber criminal that you just bought something for Target and now you've got a Target email saying, go rate this product and you go to this website and you think that you're dealing with Target when you're really giving information to a cyber criminal or they're potentially putting um, some bad stuff on your computer because you're you're clicking on things and you're allowing things to happen on the computer because you trust this. You think it's legit, right? And these are all built on on trust. So anything else you guys pulled out of this that I kind of missed yeah. or, or, or uh, you're seeing? Uh, se several things. Um, one, it, it mentions that they're using Cloudflare. Yeah, to they, always use Cloudflare. they always use Cloudflare. Do what? They always use Cloudflare. Right. And the thing with that is um, to do anything out of a normal web server, you have to open up the ports to Cloudflare um, or else a lot of sites on your web server won't work um, because they're in Cloudflare. If they're in Cloudflare, they need those ports. So hiding behind Cloudflare is a, you know, it's like kind of a two-edged sword, um, if you will. And Cloudflare is a a good service for a lot of things, but its downfall is really that, you know, anybody can be on it. Um, so that's one thing. It says also they're, they're registering several hundred new sites a day. Um, they're, they're, they're little, they're little flow chart on how they're getting, um, getting to people um, and how they're getting into their data, getting them to, to, I mean, to download things and, you know, get apps on their computer is pretty uh, fascinating um, as well. And apparently these guys are making tons of money doing this. Did yeah. we freeze up? It's amazing. I don't think. No, I, 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 it's amazing. I don't think people realize like how you can make money from this. Right. <clears throat> but it all stems from tricking people through mm -hmm. email. Right. So this is, this is just a massive phishing campaign but it's wildly successful and they're able to make money because people are clicking on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So that lends it to how well, or I don't want to say how well security awareness training is working because you got to be doing it in the first place. Right. Right. So, but that's how you become smart on this stuff. Right. This is like, there is no technology that's going to prevent these phishing emails from getting in your inbox from your uh, content filters, from determining whether the site you're, the link you're clicking on in the email is going to a bad place or good place, because these 
domains were just registered. These sites were just stood up. They have no reputation. So when they have no reputation, you have two choices as, as a system administrator from my standpoint, right? You can say, if it has no reputation, allow it. Or you can say, if it has no reputation, block it. I can tell you at my home, I'm not blocking that. But in my office, we're absolutely blocking anything we don't know about. Yes, it's freaking annoying. And we have to put in unblock requests all the time to our to our team. But this is exactly why we block things that are not known or not categorized. Mm-hmm. If you don't know it, it's not showing up in your web browser. If it's a brand new website, you know, our, our, our mutual friend, you know, Chris Weiser, he changes his domain all the time. And I'm constantly dealing with that with him. He's sending me links and I'm clicking on it and I can't get to the stuff because he's using all these shortened URLs and stuff now. Then that, that, you know, it's legitimate business stuff, but my system doesn't know what that new URL is. So my system's like, uh uh-uh, we're not allowing this to load on your system. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's zero trust. That's what that is. It's we have our, our content filtering set up in a way where it's basically set up as zero trust. If we can't go and look in a database and say, is this website business? Is this website, you know, illegal or whatever? And it'll tell us yes, no. And if it's, if it's bad, it'll be blocked. If it's good, it won't be blocked. But if it's unknown at our office, it's going to be blocked. Now, am I doing that at my house? No, my wife would, would, would kill me, but you should know I don't work from my there, house. I only play PlayStation from my house. I mean, there should also be a. Uh oh, we lost Ryan. Um, there should also be um, basically if a domain is less than a certain number of months or maybe a year, I'm not sure, but having something in there, like if it's a brand new domain, just block mm-hmm. it by default. I yep. mean, these these guys are creating 300 sites a day, right? Um, and and that's the point. Like most noticed. Yeah. Most people don't think that way. How I, what I just laid out for everybody is that like, like, yeah, it's not great when, like I said, when I get an email from, from Weiser and his domain, he's using this new marketing thing and, you know, his domain is, uh, send it, sent to me and I can't get to it. Right. I can't, I can't see it and it's blocked for me and it's annoying because then I have to go through this process with my team to have it evaluated. But that's why you have to have this stuff, right? Because if these guys are setting up these domains and they're hours old and then they're sending phishing emails and your team clicks on it, uh, you're not providing security awareness training or that your employees just aren't, paying attention to it. It's not a very good, robust program. They don't know how to spot a fish. That's going to be a problem for you if you don't have some kind of content filtering that's, you know, like Randy laid out, very much based around zero trust. If we don't know about it, we're not allowing it to happen. So I don't know where Rye went. I don't think he had to leave yet, but. No, he had a, a blue screen. Oh, boy. Help him with that. Yeah, so, I just read about one of those today. So, so uh, moving right along, we're about 44 minutes in. Um, we do have a comment from a viewer. I don't know who this guy is. You guys might. Uh, Vladin uh, 
doesn't really have a question, more of a statement. It's an interesting statement to me, so I figured I'd sh share it with you. Yeah. Um, he his position is is that young people need to lead government, so they under so they can understand technology better. Um, I mean, look, if you're looking through the lens of like somebody who's looking at like somebody like a, a Biden or a Trump who are well into their 80s and didn't grow up with this stuff, like I, I agree with you. But there are enough people under the age of 50 that don't understand technology where I I, I couldn't agree with that statement very much. Um, you know, not everybody out there is like Randy, Ryan and Andre and myself where we understand this stuff. Um, there's a lot of people at a very young age who need guys like us to help them understand this stuff because they're experts at what they do, you know trading stocks or, you know, being an Instagram right. influencer. I don't know, but that's kind of my, my thought process and my opinion on this. I, I kind of agree with Vlad on this one from a, maybe more from a young minded people. I mean, like when we saw Chris Krebs a few months ago, you know, he left like what, two, three years ago, he used to be the head of CISA. He didn't leave. He was fired by Trump. Yeah. So, okay. So he left four or five years ago. He said he still gets calls all the time. Like they'll pass some law. And one of the first people they call is him like, hey, can you explain this law to us? Um, you know, so I don't know if it's young people or like minded people or a little bit of both. But certain people need to be leading the leading the government on this. And leading I, the I, 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 I'll take it a step further. I'm not going to say young people. I'm going to say and, and, and I'm not. This is not my original thought. Chris said this at the event we were all at together. Cybersecurity professionals who understand this need to get involved and lead government. You don't have to run yeah, for office, but like what, what Chris said, get involved, get to know your Congress people and your senators and, and develop a channel of communication with them. So if they have a question about cybersecurity, they have you as a resource that they can reach out to for that expert advice. That's a great way to serve your country. Just reach out to your local congressmen and senators and say, hey, I'm a cybersecurity expert. I live in your district. I voted for you, whatever. You know, I support you. Um, and I'm here as a resource for you to, you know, help you drive legislation forward that involves cybersecurity. Um, and I kind of mentioned it at the top of the show, like, you know, a lot of this stuff gets stuck in Washington simply because they don't understand what they're reading. And, and I agree with that 100 percent. I think, you know, to, to add on to that, I think uh, that, that the, the people making these laws and, and drafting these laws need to do the same thing that the, we need a lot of more business owners to do is to realize when they need to ask questions. Uh, too many just assume that, you know, oh, you know, that's I understand that, you know, we just, you know this, that, that. They don't ask the experts. They don't ask for information. They're making these decisions based on, you know, nothing or things that they pulled out of thin air or something, you know, uh, their buddy told them without asking the right questions. So I think that's just as important. Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, prior to our, our podcast today, I actually went to go visit my local councilwoman and we were, you know, talking about things happening in my community and she was asking questions. So like, likewise, Brian, you don't need to join the government or anything like that, but the government needs to be able to listen, not be uh, politically motivated by people paying them out on the side or whatever. 
and just want to do what's best for the, the country. But unfortunately, we haven't seen that in a long time. I like uh, how, how you put paying them on the side and politically motivated <laughs> all together is like, that's the thing. <laughs> Lobbyist. I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> just, just so nonchalantly. But man, I hope um, that you're, you're totally right. It, it shouldn't be politically motivated. And it shouldn't be that, you know, um, some big companies giving them money and that's only who should they, they should listen to. So, mm-hmm. um, so I got I got this article up uh, from MSN that you shared, Randy. I think it was you, right? The last yeah. one in the sheet. Interesting to me that the, the title reads insurance company refuses to pay ransom. So hackers start releasing health records of up to 10 million people, which is what we were talking about with the Metabank in Australia. Yep. yep. Then I'm reading the article and it says nothing about the insurance company refusing to pay. It's just saying like the healthcare provider believes that all this data is going to get released and more data is going to get released because, you know, it doesn't say insurance company it says metabank refused to pay the demand ransom Mm -hmm. and we had a story not too long ago about that too where where the insurance company was suing the the insured because they chose not to pay right yeah that's other reasons but that's just a little interesting piece uh tidbit of information there like are they is this like they have some some insight and they're about to go live with this article or are they just put like what is this? Like, why did they put this out here? You know, um, did they really, did they refuse to pay? Did we, did we see that when we were talking about it earlier? No. Yeah, no, no. That timeline did have, it did show that they refused to pay. Okay. Well, there we go. We've, we've revisited Australia twice. During but it's, it, 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 it paints a good picture of the current landscape of where things are at from the standpoint of ransomware and and paying and you know we just did a tabletop exercise with a company um and i really like doing the tabletop exercises now with companies as we take them through a ransomware scenario and we've been doing that a lot this year because it gives them perspective on things like hey you have cyber insurance guess what we're your msp we can't do anything right now for for the next two or three days until your insurance company shows up on site and gives us the green light to go. And it could be longer than three days. You know, and then their mind, if you don't tell them that, they're thinking like as soon as they get ransomware, they're calling you and you're jumping on it and getting rid of it like like it's fighting a fire. Right. And that's the things that people need to understand when they have these relationships. You know, we're. I guess I don't know. You guys can talk about this if you want. Um, but like this year and maybe last year, we really started to help companies understand like what their actual situation was. And I think before that, a lot of our clients in particular, you know, just thought that like, yeah, I have cyber insurance. Yeah, I have somebody who's taking care of my security and my IT. Um, and none of those things were like talking to one another, right? Cyber insurance was over here. They bought the policy from their buddy. IT guys over here. And the only time, and we're stressing to clients that you need to come together now in this planning process, like tabletop exercise, 
version 3.0 now we need to start bringing partners into the conversation yes we ran through your policies and procedures and how this would happen and how it would affect this and that but now we're starting to take it to another level where we're bringing in these outside ent entities to work together at one time and that's what it needs to look like you don't want to have the ransomware event be the first time that your it company talks to your insurance people or is even seeing your cyber insurance policy for the first time. Like, oh, like you only have a million dollars in coverage and you're a $20 million a year company. Well, that's not gonna get us very far, right? I, um, what what if you um, kind of walked through like in 30 seconds, I know we're, we're near the end of the show, but could you walk through real quick? Like who do you get in that room when you do that? Um, do, do you do any real stuff in your tabletop or is it all just there in the conference room on the table, if you will? Like, um, uh, I, no. I think a lot of people may not have heard of that before. Yeah, that's why it's called a tabletop. You never want to an environment in my, you know, you need to have other environments where you can do simulated pen tests. You don't want to take down especially if there's a vulnerability present or some easy way to wreck something because it was just poorly constructed in the first place, like software development programs and maybe poorly put together networks, things like that. Um, I, I am not a believer in actually doing a pen test or any kind of exercise on the actual environment, like, you know, pretending you got ransomware and doing that <laughs> on the actual environment. So you, what we do is we walk, the executives through the scenario we might throw different variables at them through the process like okay you know we might say okay this is now caught the attention of the fbi and the fbi now needs to come in and also work with your uh cyber which is not out of the realm of of question that the fbi gets involved um it's actually very common so introducing all these things to make the senior executives think i guess the biggest thing i can give you based on the question you asked me and because we're short on time everybody needs to be involved who's going to be potentially making a decision in the process of whether you're going to pay the ransom how much you're going to pay um so we always ask the question like to the ceo do you have to run this by a board or anything like that and if the answer is yes then we need to bring the board into the tabletop exercise. Um, if there's outside partners that deal with IT, like we have a client who has custom software development done um, and you know they have database administrators that they hire a third-party company to do, we told them like they have to be involved in this because we can bring the systems back up so far, they're going to need to bring them back up you know, once we get it to a certain point and they're going to have to be involved. And they should have a say in what things look like and, and what have you. So I would say every single scenario is unique. Um, and that's why you need to have a trained person who knows how to do tabletops and incident response go through this stuff with you so they can paint a real world scenario. And I recommend you do these things more than once a year, at least twice a year. If you can do them quarterly, do them quarterly. Um, because you can't improve it enough. Um, and, and as you go through it each time, you will take notes, you will discover things that just don't fit the business, don't make sense, and you got to tweak you know, your process.
and I know we only have one minute left, but even on the operation side as well, you know, how is payroll going to be made? Um, how is accounting going to write checks? Can they write checks? Uh, how are you going like, to enter the building because everything is connected to the internet, but then you have to unplug it. So there's so much um, other things too. And maybe we can do a, a show specifically on that as well. We could. We could do a whole tabletop scenario, 100% on like how to properly do a tabletop exercise and, and what it looks like um, for businesses. Because I think that's a big thing that companies, A, don't do, don't do it enough, and they probably don't do it right. Um, a lot of it's a box checking exercise these days, in my opinion. But I know every single insurance policy is asking about it now. When's the last time you did any kind of incident response planning or tabletop exercise. Tabletop exercise is part of incident response planning, business continuity planning. Mm -hmm. So you hear those words or see those words in your policy or when you filled out the application, that's a tabletop exercise. So, all right, guys. All right. Seven minutes in again. Great job. Ryan, I'm glad you came back. <laughs> Technical difficulties. I feel you. All right, guys. See you next week. Have a good one. All right. All right. Bye-bye.